You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. At the end of the scripture reading, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished, the, finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet, and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmesh, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we just thank you that we can come together and worship you and uh, gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I just pray uh, as Ben comes to bring us this message, Lord, that you'd um, guide him and give him your words, uh, help us to be receptive to those, and, um, and just to have uh, open ears and a soft heart for hearing the word, Lord, today. Um, we thank you that you have given us the word from you, um, and we just recognize what a privilege that is, Lord. Uh, use this sermon and use the rest of our time together today to bring you honor and to build us up uh, and build us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. I'll never forget the day um, when, uh, as a junior in high school, I was sitting at a Mexican restaurant with uh, three of my friends, and one of us, I don't remember who, but one of us got a phone call from like another group of friends in our high school, and uh, it was a phone call saying that this guy, Nick, wanted to fight me, and uh, Nick had heard a rumor, he was angry, and, uh, and he was angry enough to fight, and so <laughs> I remember this feeling in my stomach as I was processing what I was hearing. And I'm staring down at my taco salad, my chips and salsa. And I'm like, it's like time slows down, you know. My heart starts beating real fast. And this internal conversation starts racing through my head. What should I do? I don't hate Nick, but he wants to fight me now. I could try to talk to him, but that's not going to work. And I'm thinking, come on, Ben, you don't back down from a fight. What's everybody at school going to think, right? I mean, 
What, what are all your friends sitting here going to think? You're going to be labeled a wuss, a coward. Never mind the fact that Nick outweighed me by 100 pounds. So I look up at my food across from, you know, across the table to my friends, and they look at me, and they're like, what's it going to be, Preston? What are you going to do? And I said, uh, tell him I said I'll meet him as soon as I finish my taco salad. <laughs> oh, I look back on that decision many times, and I, I wonder, what in the world was I thinking? What would cause someone to make a decision so foolish. It is a miracle that I am standing before you today. <laughs> it's a miracle I didn't end up in the hospital squashed like a pancake. The question is, what would cause someone to make such a terrible and foolish decision? Insecurity. It's that simple. As a high school kid, even into my 20s, um, and still it's a struggle today, but I was such an insecure person. When I look back on all the major decisions that I made that I really, really regret, so many of those poor decisions were rooted in insecurity, were out of insecurity. Insecurity makes you think first, what will people think instead of what's the right thing to do here? Um, it's why peer pressure has such a powerful influence on us. It's why we work ourselves to death to achieve success. It's why we feel fear when we try something new. It's why we try to control the people and the situations, circumstances around us. It's why we experience jealousy when others are praised. It's why we work to receive affirmation from those around us. So where does insecurity come from? That's what we're going to be learning today um, through, really through Saul. This is a series that we're calling King David, but um, a bunch of the sermons are going to look pretty heavily at Saul. You can't really understand David without understanding Saul. And um, insecurity uh, is, is all through Saul's story. I mean, it's just rampant through his story. Insecurity comes from an insufficient or unstable core identity. It comes from an insufficient or unstable core identity. You should have in your seats a little handout about community groups. You can write on the backs of those if you want, <laughs> if you want to take notes. Um, your identity is basically this. It's who you believe you are most fundamentally. Who you believe you are most fundamentally. When you think about yourself, who do you think you are? That's your, that's your identity. So insecurity comes from an unstable or uh, uh, faulty core identity. Ancient cultures of the past, um, and many non-Western cultures still today, have a different way of finding their identity than, than our late modern American culture does. Both ancient cultures and non, uh, many non-Western cultures today would say that a person's identity is determined by who they are in relation to their community. So, um, so virtue would be connected to your willingness to sacrifice for the good of your community. 
So your community might be your family or, or your church or your town or whatever, but, but your, your identity is going to be determined in these non-Western cultures or in ancient cultures by who you are in the whole of your group. Even a few hundred years ago, um, in Western culture, someone might go by the name Deacon John, for example, in their community, and their, and their identity would be based upon how they served in their community church, whether that was, you know, whether they did a good job with that or they did a poor job with that. Or your identity might be in the fact that you're a mom. You might be, your identity might be in that you're a mother. Um, but late modern culture tells us a very different way to determine our identity. And identity, says Tim Keller, is really considered the great moral absolute of our culture. Be yourself at any cost is the message we hear from every platform today. And don't worry at all about how that affects the people around you. According to them, the most virtuous thing you can do is to be true to yourself. And then the way that you go about finding out who that even is, who is myself, is by looking inside to find out what your deepest desires are. And then when you figure out what those deepest desires are, then you live to fulfill those desires. We've all been affected by this message. Think for just a brief moment about one of our most influential philosophers and poets, Queen Elsa. I'm guessing some of you have heard of this, this poet, Queen Elsa. This is the message that she has forever burned into the minds of every 5 to 10-year-old girl. The fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is, this is Elsa's moment of self-discovery, right? She has sacrificed for the good of the whole for long enough and now it's time to discover who she is, no matter what that costs everyone around her. Or maybe you're more a fan of the movie The Greatest Showman. So, I actually like the movie. We, we have the soundtrack at home. But listen to one of the lyrics from, from one of the songs on this soundtrack, A Million Dreams. They say it all sounds, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, I've lost my mind. I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. My point isn't to bash Frozen or The Greatest Showman, but just to say this. This is the message we are being told relentlessly. Look inside yourself. I mean, this is so ingrained in us that even to hear that even to hear this it's like it's like telling a fish you know how's the water today right they go what water this is the this is what we're swimming in 
Of course this is how you find out your identity. You look inside yourself. Of course you follow your heart. That's what you do, right? Well, not really. If you do that, if you live that way, it will crush you. It will either puff you up to enormous pride because you actually do achieve the things that you set out to achieve, or it will crush you with a sense of failure because you never lived up to what you hoped you would be. The world tells you, determine the person in life you want, then go out there and achieve it and build it for yourself. And because we look inside of ourselves to determine our identities, we build our core identities around all these wrong things, sexual desires, career goals, the way we want to express our gender, the amount of money that we make, the adventures that we go on. You see, when you build your identity on things that you found inside of yourself, desires you found inside yourself, you're going to build your identity around something unstable. And that's exactly what we learn happens to Saul. And we're going to just take a good look at Saul today for the most part. We're going to look briefly at David at the end of this message. The majority of it's going to be kind of like warning, look at Saul and don't do what Saul did. And then we're briefly going to see a different way. Saul's insecurities are rooted in an unstable core identity. And it's interesting when you study the life of Saul and the life of David because Saul actually had every reason, every worldly reason to be secure. He comes from a wealthy family. He's the tallest guy in all of Israel by a whole head. He is the most handsome man in all of Israel. Some translations even translate that word handsome to impressive, most impressive man in all of Israel. He's the guy that Israel is like begging to make their king. I mean, this is, everybody wants, everybody's looking up to him both, both literally and figuratively. He has every reason to be secure. And he is so insecure. Then we look at David. David has every worldly reason to be insecure. He's a shepherd. Shepherds are looked down on by much of society. He is the youngest of eight boys, and when Samuel invites his dad to meet him and, and says, bring your sons, <laughs> David's dad brings seven of them and forgets one, David. Leaves David sitting, you know, out there with the sheep. He's like the forgotten kid. He has every reason to be insecure, and yet he is so secure. So, we're going to dive into looking at Saul. I hope you have your Bible because we're going to really look at a lot of stuff. Go ahead and get that out and open it up to 1 Samuel if you're not there already. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, slip your hand up, and there are a couple ladies in the back who will get those to you, because you're going to want a Bible, you're going to want to follow along and see what we're talking about here. 
Pray with me one more time before we... A couple up here. A uh, couple up here if we... I'm going to go grab some more. Okay. Pray with me real quick, and uh, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would have your way with us, that you would um, take this time now as we dig into your word. You say that everything that was written previously was written for our instruction, talking about the Old Testament. We want to learn, God. We want to avoid these pitfalls that destroyed Saul. Would you just open our eyes up to see our own selves this morning? I think that's the most important thing. Show us ourselves and help us to see a better way forward. Grant us your Holy Spirit right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple more Bibles up here up front. You can raise your hand still. So, we're going to look at Saul's insecurities and, and let me just say this as we dive in. Saul believed that his identity was something to be achieved rather than something to be received. When we believe that our identity is something to be achieved rather than received, we believe it's up to us to maintain our significance. It's very important. We, we're going to see this in Saul. Okay? Um, so he believes that his identity is something that he's got to earn. He's got to achieve it. And so when he does well, there's great pride. Before he does anything, we see he is absolutely like the most shy person on the planet. When they try to appoint him as king, they find him hiding in the baggage, he hasn't done anything yet, okay? His identity is something to be achieved. Well, he hasn't achieved anything yet. So he's like, why, would, why me? Who, why would you appoint me, right? We're going to see this in him. So the impulse to achieve and maintain his significance becomes the driving force behind his foolish decisions and compromises that he makes. Number one thing that we see is that insecurity leads us to self-preservation. It leads us to self-preservation. Now, we're going to look here at 1 Samuel 13, this passage that we just heard. I want to set the scene for that. So there's a massive army of Philistines. They've come and they've, they've encamped around Israel. And it says 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude... And when the Israelites see they're in trouble, they come to Saul trembling. So the next thing that you would do if you're in Saul's place is you would call upon the Lord for help. This is a desperate situation. Fortunately, the prophet Samuel has said to Saul, I'm going to be there in seven days and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, that is the perfect opportunity to call upon the Lord for help. So, and by the way, Earlier in Scripture, we learned that only God's chosen priests can offer a sacrifice. That's important to know that. Well, the seven days are up. Here we go. Let me, let's pick, pick this up and read this again, 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. 
and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, take note of that, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. And this is when the Lord decides to take the kingdom from him. So when Saul sees the people scattering, he loses his mind. He doesn't know what to do. This is the end of the world for him. He acts presumptuously. He makes a compromise that Samuel calls flat out foolish. The sin of presumption is going to be a repeated problem for Saul. He convinces himself that God's commands aren't all that important or they're circumstantial. So what if God requires a priest to offer the burnt offering? The people are scattering, right? Under the circumstances, what else can he do? That's what he's thinking. What do you expect, God? Presumption means to suppose the truth of something without any good proof, usually grounded in circumstantial evidence. Usually grounded in circumstantial evidence. This is what we see from Saul. We're going to see this again in his life. We'll study it more in depth in another sermon. But presumption, man, under the circumstances, surely like God's commands don't apply here. Can we think of ways that we think that way? This, this must be a unique situation that God would change, bend the rules. So Saul's presumption was because of his unique circumstances. He thinks God's going to make an exception for breaking the commands of the Lord. Why does Saul make a presumptuous decision under this pressure? Because his security rests in a position of significance that he believes he must work to maintain. His core identity is in his achievements. So when it looks like the people are leaving, it looks like failure is going to result then it's time to panic, right? That's what we do when our core identity is being threatened. We panic. We lose our minds. We make foolish and rash decisions. Man, if the people walk away, if we lose this battle, if I lose my position of significance, what do I have left? We do this as well, don't we? We wrongly get our identity tangled up in our perceived significance. 
there's a thousand different things that we might be doing to try to achieve significance. But because our identity is wrapped up in our work, we cut corners at our job or in school because we can't imagine failing that class or we can't imagine losing that position. We presume, under these circumstances, what else can I do? Because our identity is wrapped up in being a good parent, our motive changes from genuinely wanting the best for our kids to doing whatever actually makes us look best in the eyes of those around us. Or because our identity is wrapped up in ministry, we squeeze God out of our lives for the sake of serving people and end up burning out. We presume God understands that I don't have time to read my Bible when I'm serving Him this much. Because our identity is wrapped up in being seen as a respect, respectable man or woman, we give our time to things that are most noticeable and most honored by others rather than serving behind the scenes where only God sees and rewards. Because our identity is wrapped up in the approval of men. We lust for a stage or a platform of influence where we can be seen as great. Or because our identity is wrapped up in the approval of men, we avoid a stage or platform of influence because we fear being seen as less than great. I've been guilty of both of those. All of these are examples of the fruit of insecurity that grows out of a faulty core identity. So we've seen that our insecurity leads us to self-preservation like Saul. He's going to do whatever it takes to preserve his position of significance, right? Secondly, we see that insecurity leads us to avoid risk. Leads us to avoid risk. Remember that in our culture, we've heard, we've learned, we've been discipled to believe. We look inside ourselves, determine the person or life that we want, go out there and achieve it, build it for yourself. Well, so our identity is all tangled up in our achievements or in the person we've worked so hard to be. And when that's the case, we fear taking any risks that might undermine that. We, we fear taking any risks that might take away from this thing that we've built. Let's look again at, at Saul to see this play out in his life. So you probably all know the most famous story of David is the story of David and Goliath. Um, we're going to preach a whole sermon on that in a few weeks. So in that story, let me just paint the scene for you. You've got the Philistine army on one mountain, Israel's enemies, and then you've got God's people, Israel, on another mountain, and there's this valley in between them. And every day, there is this giant named Goliath who's over nine feet tall, and he, he comes out into the valley every day, and uh, he gives this challenge. He says, 
choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Now, the story is that David is keeping his father's sheep. His three oldest brothers are in the army. He, he comes to visit his three oldest brothers to bring them some food and, and that kind of thing. And while he's there, he hears, he hears Goliath giving this taunt. And David's response is like, wait a second, what did that dude just say? He's like, did he just, did he just defy the armies of God? What, who's going who's gonna to fight him? Like, surely somebody's going to go fight this guy. And everybody's looking at David like, did you see Goliath? Did you, did you notice that he's 9'6"? Did you see the spear he carries? And David is like, man, if anyone would walk out there trusting that they are going to defend the honor and glory of God, then God is going to give them victory. That's what's, that's what's in David's mind. Anybody goes out there, they're... With that in mind, they're going to kill that guy. And so even though he's just a boy at the time, he's like, I'll go do it. Nobody else will. I'll go do it and kill this guy and, and take away the reproach of Israel. Now, where's Saul in the scene? What is Saul? He must be back at the palace, right? I mean, he must be handling some other issue or something, right? No. Saul's right there. He's right there in the middle of the scene. He's listening to this day after day, and he's doing nothing. Shouldn't Saul, God's chosen, God's anointed leader over the armies of Israel, have seen what David saw? Shouldn't he have stepped up and said, I got this. God's got this. Let's see where Saul is what he's doing. 1 Samuel 17, flip over to chapter 17, verses 31 through 33. So David's like walking around like, um, what, what do I got to do to go fight this guy? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. All Saul sees is what, he, you know, what can be seen with the eye. He isn't seeing the situation with faith. He's seeing the size of this giant, his experience, all he can see is the possibility of failure, right? And if you have built your identity around achievement, then you aren't going to take that kind of a risk. Your identity is at stake. If somebody else goes out there and fails, well, I can at least still say, wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me that blew it. Man, insecurity leads us to avoid risks as well. 
If your identity is wrapped up in the approval of others, you'll avoid telling people about your faith because of the risk that they might reject you. If your identity is wrapped up in worldly success, you'll avoid making any kind of kingdom sacrifices that might cost you advancement in your career. Or you'll talk yourself out of going to the mission field when God is telling you to go. What risks do you avoid because of a fear of failure? The third thing that we see that comes from insecurity is insecurity will lead you to push people away instead of embrace them. I just picked three things. I, there, if you study this on your own, you're going to find a hundred things that insecurity causes in Saul's life, but I picked three because these sermons have to, you know, happen in one day. Um, so let's look at one chapter over, uh, chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. Um, so insecurity is going to lead Saul to push David away. 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 9. The women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh-oh. And Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Man, Saul is overcome with jealousy. His identity is threatened. His identity is wrapped up in achievements. And, and with that, the honor of people. And they're honoring someone else more than him, and he can't handle it. So he becomes insecure, paranoid, jealous, irrational. His foundations are crumbling under him. He's ready to spear this innocent kid in order to preserve his honor and his throne. Now we read, look down in verse 12, 12 through 14. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Insecurity will lead you to push certain people away, to keep them at an arm's length. You may not do it quite as obviously as Saul. Saul had the he, he, he had the power to just remove him from his presence, to give him another job. But you might do this because you, you become offended at something that, that somebody says to you. It, maybe it causes some insecurities to rise to the surface. Um, causes conviction, maybe. Being around somebody causes conviction, so you avoid being around them. You convince yourself that that person isn't being genuine with you. You convince yourself that person is, is out to get you, and so you keep them at arm's length. And at the root of it is actually insecurity or jealousy. 
This is the thing that I, I couldn't stop thinking about as I was looking at this in the life of Saul. There's so many times where you're like, man, Saul, I think you could have done a U-turn here and God would have honored it. And he doesn't. I looked at this situation with, with his jealousy and I think, man, what, what Saul should have done here is he should have said, wow, here's a guy who has the favor of God. God is using him to further Israel's kingdom. I need to get that I need to keep that guy as close as possible. I need I need this we need to be best friends. That's what he should have been thinking. He should have been thinking what might God want to do with this young man? And how can I help him succeed? That's what a secure person would do, but not Saul. Insecure people see others' strengths as a threat to themselves. They push people away. They manipulate people in situations to try to protect their unstable core identity. They may not even be conscious of the reason that they're pushing certain people away. But it, it very may well be that it's the giftedness or the godliness of that person that makes you want to keep them away. So we've seen some of the ways that Saul's unstable identity and insecurities caused uh, or led to his downfall. Let's, let's just finish with some really good, good examples here of what we should have our identity in. Let's look at David and see where he found his identity um, and how that kept him from many of these same pitfalls. So Saul believed his identity was achieved. Now David believed his identity was something that he received. It's very different. Rather than looking inside of himself or looking at his achievements, his position of significance, David looks to God to find his identity. And as a result, David's identity is as secure as God himself because it's rooted in God. This gave him unbelievable confidence at key points in his life. If you were watching David from a, a real distance and didn't know him, you'd probably think, that guy is so cocky, right? Like, what arrogance to go out there and fight the giant? What? Look at the people he's gathering around himself to follow him to be king. But when you got up close to David's life, you saw a very different story. You saw a humble man. You saw a loving man. You saw a man who was after God's heart. It came off as confidence because his confidence was rooted in God. The most famous event of his life, David and Goliath. Look at, look at what he says when he goes out there to face Goliath. Picture this little boy with a slingshot in his hand, and he's going out to face this giant with a spear, with an armor bearer, giant sword, probably the size of David. And this is what 
gave David such confidence. 1 Samuel 17, and look at verse 46. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's where his confidence came from. His confidence was in the Lord. And it wasn't that David didn't feel fear. This is, it's not like he, he was immune to fear. He did. When you read the Psalms that were written by David, you see his he, he absolutely experienced fear, but this is his response to it. Look at Psalm 56. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a couple psalms here, so you can either turn to them or you can just listen. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. He says, When I am afraid, so he does feel fear, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can, man, what can flesh do to me? Now, when Saul is faced with the possibility of death, he panics. He makes compromises. When David is faced with the possibility of death, he puts his trust in God. He reminds himself, I have nothing to fear. What can flesh do to me? The worst thing that can happen is I die, and God will preserve my soul. That's David's perspective. Psalm 32, 7. He says, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So David's great confidence came from his profound trust in the living God. You want to you see this more in depth? This week, dive into the Psalms. And you just... Make a little note every single time you see him showing where his confidence comes from. I had like so many references to this, and then I just realized I can't do that to you. Just going to show you this, and you have to find the, find the others on your own. His identity was secure because he knew it wasn't something he had to achieve, but it was something that he had received from God. What was the identity he had received from God. I'm just going to give you three things. And it, it, there's way more. There's way more in there, but, I, but I'm just going to give you three things. He saw himself as a sheep. As a shepherd, David had plenty of experience with sheep. Sheep are helpless. They wander. They're dependent on their shepherd. But sheep who have a great shepherd have nothing worry about. In David's most famous psalm, Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He saw himself as a needy sheep. But that meant that he had a great shepherd. One who would provide for him, care for him, protect him, 
So he had nothing to fear. The second way that David saw himself. He saw himself as a sinner who had received forgiveness. Psalm 25, verse 11, he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He doesn't see his sins as being small or inconsequential or no big deal. He sees that they are great against God. But, listen to this, Psalm 32, 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He didn't minimize his sin. He didn't think of it as nothing, but he still saw it as being forgiven because of God's grace and mercy toward him. And then the third thing, he saw himself as loved. He saw himself as loved. Not just generally loved as just one more of God's creatures, but personally and specifically loved by God. Listen to this in Psalm 17, 7 through 8. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Man, that's the language of somebody who says, you know me really well, Father. You love me very well. Keep me as the apple of your eye. I want all my kids to believe that they're the apple of my eye. Do you believe that? Do you believe, believer, that God the Father looks at you with very specific and special love toward you, that you are the apple of his eye? But that's David, right? I mean, that's, we could easily say, yeah, but that's David. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. He was God's like chosen and anointed king. I mean, like I can't, I can't have his kind of confidence, right? The answer is actually yes, we can. We we actually can have his confidence if our identity is found in God. That is, if we have repented of our sins and turned and put our trust in Jesus Christ, then he has given you a new identity. He has given you an identity in himself, wrapped up in himself. Your identity is actually in Christ because of what he did for you. How is that? Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth, who lived a perfect, sinless life, never sinned, never rebelled against the Father, and then went to the cross to bear our sins on himself and to die in our place. He took the punishment for our sins. He took our place on the cross. He died 
and dealt with our sin. He took our sin to the grave. And then he rose from the grave on the third day to offer new life and a new identity to everyone who puts their trust in him. Man, I just want to encourage you today. Seek out where have you been looking inside yourself to determine your identity? Where have you been trying to achieve in order to earn your identity? Look outside of yourself to the one who made you and to the one who redeemed you or wants to redeem you if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ. We root our identity in what Jesus has done for us. We can have unshakable confidence. We can obey God in every circumstance. We can take risks without fear of failure. We'll embrace the people that might outshine us in certain ways. Believer, live in the security that you are personally loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for the example, both the example of Saul that we can learn not to emulate, God, so that we can look at ourselves and see the ways that we are doing exactly what Saul did. We thank you for the example of David and other men and women in the scriptures who are good examples to us, but mostly, Father, the perfect example of Jesus Christ who came and lived out of the identity that you loved him. I think about the fact that even before he began his ministry, before he did a single miracle or preached a single sermon, you spoke over him, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he went out and did what he did. Father, would you help us to find our identity in you, so that, our, so that our identity can be unshakable and we can live for your glory and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.